in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and, dare I say, then we talk about them. Today, we have a dealer's choice. We have two hosts joining me for a total of three hosts. A trio of hosts. We've got Dustin Melbardis from the great state of Texas. Dustin, how are you doing, sir? I'm great. I am ready. This this was my dealer's choice, so I'm excited to talk about this one. Hello. And you will not believe this, but Chad and I are sitting right next to each other in the great city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, fully vaccinated. And uh, so all that live chemistry that you've missed on the show is back so yes no more social distancing i am actually hugging brussel right now it's true it's true it's true <laughs> kind of sounds like you said no more social distancing like you were decreeing it for all people <laughs> <laughs> no no anti-vaxxers i'm sorry you can still listen to our podcast but social distance yeah, don't muzzle me <laughs> <laughs> i have no actual power podcast power isn't a thing but it's my first time with dustin so i'm very excited about that too that's right. And let's just get to, let's get a little feel here. Let's see. So today's movie is about a teacher. What movie did you watch for class and really enjoy? Dustin, why don't you go first? I was thinking about, I was, I was going back to middle school or high school and I was thinking um, of the movies I could have picked. I could have picked Gone with the Wind. I could have picked Romeo and Juliet, but I've got an interesting answer here. Uh, the answer is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yes. But I didn't, have to, I didn't have to watch this for school. Oh. I, uh, in, in one of my previous lives, in, in a former career, I could still do this if I wanted to, uh, I, I would tutor uh, college kids, uh, specifically with note-taking, um, certain courses I, I had, you know, proficiency in statistics and the like. But I, I once tutored this kid in a young adult literature course, and his final project was to take something that wasn't a book and like describe the young adult themes of it. And I said, listen, you need to watch Scott, Scott Pilgrim vs. the world. And uh, then we'll discuss it and we'll work together on this project. The huge bonus about this was I got paid to watch the movie again because it was using up my hours. So that's my best experience with classroom movies. You've made me very happy, and you've made Russell very sad. I don't hate it as much as you say. I just, I just don't. My level of enthusiasm is not where Chad says it should be placed. Yes, it yes. should be high. Yes, it should. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, higher. <laughs> <laughs> but we did an episode on that one, so that's a great choice. And uh, Chad, what about you? What, what movie did you see for class and really enjoyed? It's a Spanish flick. It's Cinema Paradiso. It's very, very charming. Old man and a little kid. They basically get together and watch movies in this old cinema. And it's just a great time. I'd never heard of it before, but apparently it's reasonably well known. And definitely recommend checking it out. Not Matewan? No. Uh, 
No. Okay. No, that, w- that was a fun time tormenting the teacher during Mate One, but... Uh... It's actually a good movie. I went back and saw it later. Uh... <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we watched Mate One, and uh, I-, I was one of those terrible kids in class who was unfocused talking and... Just uh, it, the class was a riot. <laughs> yeah, but one one class that I did watch the movie that we were assigned very closely, and I fell in love with. Actually, I really enjoyed this movie. It was an art class, and I watched The Agony and the Ecstasy. It's a 1965 movie starring Charlton Heston and Rex Harrison, and it's about Michelangelo being forced to paint the Sistine Chapel. And uh, it is a great movie, and I would love to do that on the show at some point. Because... You'd love to paint a ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, not paint the ceiling, but I mean... Oh, not that. No, no, more more the movie part of it, sorry. Yeah, but yeah. Get more <laughs> Charlton Heston, period. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I was thinking about, like, just uh, his... Uh, the apes quote, and he's like, Get out of here, you dead, dirty clouds on the ceiling! <laughs> <laughs> I like character... I like that a lot. So, uh, what is the last movie you saw, Dustin? I rewatched American Psycho again. Uh, anytime I get reminded of that movie, I, instead of just like looking up clips, I just start it from the beginning and let it go. I don't know what that says about me, but I just, I just I rewatched it again last week. Mm. You, have, you have good taste. And Chad, what about you? What's the last movie you saw? Is I'm, it better than that? I'm going to keep disappointing you. I'm going to keep going horror too. Um, 2021's Things Heard and Seen. It's Amanda Seyfried's new movie. Very, very good good i enjoyed it it's a... do you feel like it was better than her work on jennifer's body yes oh really yeah it, oh. it, if it's you a, could that's a stretch to say but yes yes oh, it was okay. better uh, <laughs> it's real estate horror it's very much in the vein of amityville horror and it's on netflix okay all right well i would give that a chance then and the last movie i saw was from 2010's uh real steel starring hugh jackman okay. and evangeline Lilly. and you know what that's a future I want to be a part of with robot boxing. Boxing robots. <laughs> yes. yes. I, I am all about boxing robots. I like BattleBots, the show, when it was on. It's still and, it's still on. They brought it back. Yeah. And uh, I also liked uh, Custom Robo, the video game where you're like making various warrior bots themselves yes. out of these parts. So, uh, yeah, this this all worked for me. Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Classic. Yeah, I like those, too. Do, yeah. do you have a favorite BattleBot? Um, I like Huge. I honestly like the ones that lose really badly. Like, 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 uh, my then you would have liked my like, favorite. Yeah, like my favorite a... was Mauler. Mauler fifty one fifty would get spinning too fast and turn over on its top and just lose. Yeah, I remember there was a ladybug that like a four year old girl made, and it was it was adorable. And then they got into the ring and it did very poorly. <laughs> Megatento, yeah, Lisa Winter, she's now a judge. I did not. Okay, I did not. You you know this at another <laughs> level than I do. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, Toro and all the flippers. T-minus, another good flipper nightmare. You guys Uh, are ready for this future. But Buddy Lee Don't Play in the Street was my favorite name of a a robot. I don't know if it ever won. So I had had low expectations, but I came out of it having a fun time. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, so today's movie, though, is Dustin. Stand and Deliver. All right. Uh, I prefer the Adam Ant song, Stand and Deliver, but we get a different Stand and Deliver song on the soundtrack, but we'll get to that <laughs> later. But this 80s gold. <laughs> Stand and Deliver is a movie that comes out in 1988. It grosses $13.9 million. It places at 69 on the box office that year. 
That's pretty funny. Somewhere Rob Gronkowski is going nice. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The movie that places ahead of it was Poltergeist 3. I believe that's the one in the Chicago Hancock Tower. (laughs) The architecture was good. Yeah, that's what you want in a horror movie. Yeah. And uh, it places ahead of uh, number 70, uh, My Stepmother is an Alien. (laughs) That's a fun movie. I have not seen it. Oh, you should enjoy that, actually. Shortlist it and we'll, we'll do it. Yeah. And the number one movie that year... Only slightly better than Poltergeist 3 was Rain Man. <laughs> so, uh, that was sarcasm. IMDb gives a rating of 7.3 to Stand and Deliver. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes give Stand and Deliver an 82%, and the audience score likes it as well at 79%. It is Oscar-nominated. The great Edward James almost gets a nomination for it. He doesn't win, but uh, there are also two Golden Globe nominations as well. Best Actor... Uh, in a motion picture drama goes to Edward James almost again best supporting actor uh, for Lou Diamond Phillips which these are great names by the way like both of those are great names of people Um, (laughs) I started shortening Lou Diamond Phillips to Louis Dimes and I like it a lot I I don't expect it to catch on okay you like it too yeah Yeah, Edward James almost and Louis Dimes (laughs) (laughs) yes and uh, the uh, Independent Spirit Awards however do make it a winner they get six of those and uh, it gets best feature best director best male lead for Edward James almost best supporting actor for Lou Diamond Phillips Luby Dose uh, and uh, <laughs> and the best supporting female Rosanna DeSoto and best screenplay and the Independent Spirit Awards nominee for best cinematography which it didn't win so it did get some hardware Dustin had you seen this movie before this was my dealer's choice I decided we need to watch Stand and Deliver because I had never seen it before. Uh, I chose this movie because I gave so much, we'll call it hate, uh, some people might call it hate, to Edward James Olmos's character in Blade Runner. And so I needed to make it up by choosing an Edward James Olmos-led movie, so I chose this movie. Was interested about it, but uh, I had never seen it before. Brand new to me. Wow. Wow, so we're going in, I think, all three across the board because... I also, Which is great. Yeah. How I often does that happen either. on this podcast? Because I didn't know what to expect, it's very rare that I ever get that. I like to look at it as an opportunity to walk into something like, what's going to happen here? Um, I didn't look up anything about uh, Escalante. I didn't look up anything about production. I just went into it uh, thoroughly pleased after a full watch, happy to rewatch it again. But at my expectations were just sort of, uh, let's see how they portray this community and these relationships. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, you're a Brave Dealer's choice picker, then you're the opposite of Brian. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Brian always picks like his favorite, like, gotta do that. So, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I nothing. Just, you know, this is my first ever. Go ahead and try for it. Yeah. Now, uh, Chad, you hadn't seen this one either, right? No, I hadn't. So, what I was expecting was Dangerous Minds, but with Latino influence instead of uh, the Dangerous Minds background. That's. From the description, that's what I got. Uh, this is better than Dangerous Minds by a good amount. I enjoyed it. I do. It's very hard to get movies that three people have not seen. So this was a good pick. I appreciated it. Yeah. yeah. And so I honestly, you hit me in an era in the late 80s that's not my era with a drama, which is probably not my uh, go-to uh, genre. Uh, about a teacher and chad will let you know i had a tough run-in with a lot of teachers (laughs) and they had a tough run-in with you and it had 80s music 
So I was a little bit afraid, honestly, going in there. But I, I actually was really pleasantly surprised. And uh, it was it was a good time. And uh, I would it was one of those upbeat, um, motivating movies that I don't think we've covered anything quite like that <laughs> on the podcast yet. And so I thought this was a really good thing to do that we hadn't done before. So I'm really glad you did the pick. And then I was just glad to learn about the story because it's a based on true events kind of story. Yes. And actually based on true events, not like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or anything. Yeah. So. It's a weird comparison to make. Sorry for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not a feel good movie at all. I felt good. Well, well, you know, when you when you say that it's got an upbeat feel to it, you could pivot this in a very small amount of degrees and it could be darker or it could be rougher. Um, they chose just a certain amount of toughness to... Um, like a small percentage of, of what what how we should portray the area but it could have been darker but i think keeping it in the style of of a success of something that works out and it is kind of an upbeat feel uh that makes it uh, a pleasure to watch yeah if uh and you're right uh, one thing that comes to my mind is when you say dark and serious i'm thinking of one uh, 187 starring sam jackson so uh I, this this feels far more real than that kind of movie and honestly it's more rewarding than what you're talking about like when they go that dark so um i i liked i liked a lot of things about this movie and i enjoyed watching it both times so before we go continue though there will be spoilers that lie ahead so we will be back after this messages and we will spoil stand and deliver Welcome to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we missed, things we loved, and things we want to see again. Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded, movie-loving individuals like you what happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up you get the classic film jerks podcast find the classic film jerks podcast on all the major platforms all right this is your final warning there will be spoilers that lie ahead chad for those who haven't seen the movie stand and deliver since 1988 do you want to refresh people's memory Absolutely. So in the early 1980s, Jamie S. Galante, played by Edward James Olmos, is hired to teach computer science at East LA's James Garfield High School. Unfortunately, for at least the second year in a row, there are no computers, so he's asked to teach math. The school is mainly attended by Latino students from blue-collar families, and unfortunately not much is expected of them by their school. Jamie creates the philosophy of Ganas, which means desire, in an attempt to motivate his students. He gets the crazy idea to teach students who are already below their grade level AP calculus. This requires an intensive summer school course to catch up, and the students struggle to balance their work and family obligations with the sudden school expectations. Jamie himself suffers a heart attack due to the stress. Through a lot of hard work, all 18 students pass their AP calc exams which is something I actually failed to do in high school, but they are accused of cheating by the Educational Testing Service. The students are profiled due to their racial and economic demographics, but they agree to retake the test. 
Several months later, the students once again succeed in passing the exam, and they earn their college credits. Suck on that, racist review boards. <laughs> uh, now, uh, Dustin, this is a uh, a movie that's a a motivating story because it it has the impact of uh, the difference that one great teacher can make on their kids, but it's also got the social uh, issues. Again, as I mentioned, there's a racism component to this. How the kids are scrutinized. It's actually a, a two half movie. It's it's got the can they get this to this test and then they have to prove themselves is like the second act. And um, is there one part of this that like impacted you more watching it or did you like that structure? I think with the structure, I would agree. It is set up into two halves or two acts. First of all, I think they did a great job creating the world for people that aren't, that maybe don't have an idea of early 80s East L.A. Uh, you get a little bit of that from uh, Jaime Escalante's drive through the neighborhood in the beginning opening sequence credits. Uh, you see the East River, you see uh, the graffiti, the murals on the walls, you see signs in Spanish, uh, you see guys selling oranges on the side of the interstate. Throughout the movie, Particularly in the first half, though, you do see some of these uh, some of these high school kids' home lives, where where um, you know uh, Pancho is trying to fix his car, and his uncle takes a chicken and kind of pokes him with it. Um, you've got uh, Lupe who is taking care of a whole gaggle of kids while dad runs to work and mom's coming home from work. Um, I, I I think setting up the culture of where these kids come from was accomplished. The second act, I. Th I think we were hit over the head with the the racism um and i don't know if that would be done the same way today i think it may it it, it would have been done differently if not more subtly but um <clears throat> i would say that that aspect of this movie was perhaps a little clunky but maybe that's just because it was so important for this was almost productions it may have been so important to make sure that the audience knew, whether it's at a dumbed-down level or not, that this isn't a movie about people that are dealing with dis like disadvantages. This is, this is a representation of all these people that are dealing with all these disadvantages, and you need to know about it. This is not a one-off shot story. This is how our people have lived for a very long time. Um, so, yeah, both acts do it differently, but um, I wouldn't say it was my favorite depiction of how uh, it it could be presented, but both missions were completed, if not accomplished to their full uh, extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I took a different view of that. I actually thought they were a little bit too iffy on the racism part, and I felt like modern day, if they were making it, it would be center. front and center. I think the reason they did this and it's never been proven or anything but the the real life story they actually still believe that a good degree of them actually did cheat and that the retest they didn't need to they just happened to they said it's it's still most likely that some of these kids may have cheated so i don't know if that was the reason of their conclusions that they kind of just were afraid of a libel or something i don't know but yeah, I, I thought they would make it much more front and center. They just kind of danced around it. You're right, clunky's a good word for it. Hmm. 
Yeah, and I, I'm I'm with you. I think that this issue actually makes the movie probably more more prevalent today because a lot of these discussions are being had today. And I think you're right. If if this movie were made today, I think that the second act would be more central throughout the full run of the movie. I think they would have introduced. You see that they live in their own world as a viewer, but they don't really like you said hit you over the head with it. It's just this is a very different world to that these people live in uh this these hispanic communities in east l a and and this time and and it's one of those things so it's a view into that world, but it doesn't really make commentary of saying like this is bad, wrong, or whatever until that second act when you see how they're treated. I'm quite certain if you made this movie today that 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 treatment and that difference and that would be more because actually surprisingly schools and communities are actually more segregated now which is hard to believe actually yeah i I, i'm wondering how to phrase this so i i living in texas particularly near san antonio a gigantic city one of the top uh 25 largest cities in the country and also having a huge hispanic population uh just surround i've been surrounded by in the last uh 11 years or so i i will say um one of the reasons i was considering describing this differently or or how it would be made differently today is i think there's probably more of an awareness of the inequality among latino families regardless of where you are in the country and the world than there would have been in the in the late 80s when this movie was made and that's how I was trying to figure out how to say that. Would you guys agree that there's probably more awareness of inequality now than there would have been in the late 80s if not just for the um, the Internet and uh, heavy uh, cell phone usage and the, uh, of what we can learn or what's available to people? I almost feel as if this movie, the way it was made, was almost as if you may not know, you, audience member, may not know that it's like this for these people. Or... In, in this instance, it's you may not know that it's like this for us, but yeah. now this movie's going to show you what it's like for us. I think that's the difference I was trying to pull out from my previous statement. Would you guys agree with that? Mm-hmm. I, I yes. do think there's a, sm- a slight increased awareness, but I don't think there's enough. You know, we've, we've well, seen I, that with I the African-American sure. communities, Latino communities. There's just not enough awareness of the struggles of. Asia more recently too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just, just how different cultures that are grouped together are working. You know, it's it's very easy. Especially, we grew up in West Virginia. You know, our our school was not very diverse. We got, very white school. <laughs> yes, we, not by choice, just because of everybody everybody who lived around us. Right, largely white. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was probably ninety percent. Probably more. Yeah, if not more. So you know, that was our experience. So, I, I honestly thought we were past a lot of these things, but I grew up in a bubble with my head in the sand and I didn't witness racism growing up from my parents and stuff. So it was one of those things where uh, naively you just kind of think that you're, as a culture, we're doing better on this. Yeah. And then movies like this, honestly, to your point, Dustin, help insert somebody who just has no contact with anybody from that world or who has experienced that world, much less anybody who has seen that world. So um, it's a little bit of a wake up call. There are high schools that can't get computers and they're having music teachers teach math because they can't find anyone. Like, yeah, that stuff blows my mind. Mm -hmm. Well, there's two things, two, two times in this movie where I was talking about 
where I was referencing the bluntness of it. One of them is the field trip to, we'll call it the computer factory. I do not know what business it was, <laughs> but they're, they're walking around carrying like big stacks of like dot matrix printed uh, paper. And uh, Pancho comes over and like looks at the screen and says, what kind of math is that? And um, the neighbor, uh, Jaime's uh, neighbor and, and former co-worker says, oh, what you're seeing there is calculus. Uh, Jaime says, you'll get that in college. And the white man says, oh, really? My daughter is using this program at her school. Very much like, to me, that's hitting you over the head with a hammer. Like, you should notice, like, this is the difference we're trying to say to you. The white kids get this. You don't. Um, that, that's what that seemed like. And the second one I was going to say was when Jaime drives to the, uh, the ETS, um, what would you call their hall of study? That big library? It looked like it's like some presidential library where they're working at where he says, you know, this is because of my students' last names. And they say the awkward thing about, you know, there's two types of racism. Like that, that was kind of a little bit, that's where I was describing the clunkiness of it that I think our filmmakers today, and especially with our greater awareness, or at least definitely greater than it was in the late 80s, uh, it would probably be done either smoother, I don't want to just say flat out better, but I think it, it, could, be, it could be better than, uh, than some of the clunkiness we got out of this movie. Yeah, yeah, and that's a very fair point. Looking at this movie in terms of fact versus fiction, Chad, did you find anything in looking into Jaime Escalante's actual experiences and comparison to this way this movie is presented yeah i looked it up after watching this movie and he was a fan of the movie said it was 90 percent true 10 percent drama there were little things that they changed well, obviously the students he had a gallbladder infection instead of a heart attack things like that the class size was much smaller as well i think he started with five and it took a couple of years for the sake of what an hour and a half movie, two hour movie. You can't really do that. But his program did grow and he didn't have any kids that started his class that didn't know basic arithmetic. They weren't admitted to AP Calc courses right away. So he had to work with them there. But otherwise, it seemed remarkably true. You know, obviously they changed the students except for Anna Delgado. She was modeled on an actual student. But yeah, now there was some stat from. Jaime's class, it was 27-28% of all Mexican-American AP tests that were passed were coming out of his school. So what he was able to do was remarkable. It is. Uh, Dustin, any thoughts that you have on Jaime Escalante, the real man? The only thoughts were that, uh, from what I read uh, about um, the time it took to get to that level, I, I would say in real life, the ending of his tenure at Garfield High School, which, by the way, is, um, uh, I, I was born in L.A., my sister was born in L.A., um, I was born in Monterey Park, but my sister was born in Garfield. Uh, so, like, in another life, had we not been adopted and whisked away from California, who knows, we might have ended up there. Wow. Uh, huh. kind, of a, kind of a weird thing that I didn't realize when picking the movie. Um, but as, as the, the way that he ends his tenure and... and um, the relationship with the principal, who that also should deserve a lot of credit um, in real life, although is just kind of comic relief in this movie. It it isn't it isn't like the extreme success story at the end of that of what happened. So I love that this movie kind of encapsulates 
the peak, like the, like the best part of the story. Um, I mean, there are other cool things like having a stamp with his uh, face on it. The idea that when, uh, unfortunately, the the man himself did pass away in 2010. So, but the idea that before that, for his some of his treatments, uh, you know, Lou Diamond Phillips and some of the other some of the other um, cast members of this successful movie uh, were able to kind of kind of help him out uh, so that he wasn't alone. Uh, so I, I I do like that this this the the true peak of of what he could do for so many of these kids uh, is the point of the movie, and it's not it's not something that uh, they devote any time to like the end of his life or the end of his career. I think the movie has the perfect amount. Mm-hmm. I, I did wind up wondering what happened to some of the kids. So I looked it up. So I'm like, what does one AP calc credit do for you in college? If you may be behind in other areas, you know, what does this confidence do? They wound up being lawyers and heads of boards and everything else. I, mm. I was reading about all these kids. They went to Stanford, Harvard, uh, a lot of MIT for one of them. So they were very, very successful. I was, I was stunned at just one class really building that confidence in kids. And I think everyone's probably had this experience. I had a lot of not great teachers, but one of the teachers that actually believed in me really turned my perception of myself around. And she just it, I still remember it. She just said, you're smart enough to get by. <laughs> and <laughs> it was because I was very, very lazy. And she's like, it works for you. She goes, you're smart enough that this works for you. But if you ever want better. <laughs> wow. I, I'd never been told I was smart until Mrs. Clark. Was she, good te- she was a good teacher. Thank yes. you, Mrs. Clark. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing, though. That That's a really impressive thing. And I think that this movie... This movie shows what one good teacher can do. It's pretty powerful, really. Yeah. So, um, now I thought it was interesting that Edward James almost wrote all of his dialogue in conjunction with Jaime Escalante. He shattered him in real life situations that were depicted for the film, and almost uh, said the dialogue and the scene where Escalante confronts the ETS investigators about the cheating allegations were word for word what Escalante told him of those accounts. And so they had built quite a kinship as well. And um, they don't necessarily look that similar. When you see a picture of Jaime Escalante, the comb over is there, but I mean, (laughs) uh, is there. Yeah. uh, But uh, on the other hand, it's not about the physical similarities. I I believe the people who know Jaime said that Edward James almost really put the care into getting that character right. I think that was cool. That added to the authenticity of this movie. Well, it's good that he gets one character right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm with you, but I'm kind of ducking the gonna, sci-fi fans. I was right? going to say, uh, shaking fist angrily. I, I, think, I think he does just fine. Him. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, 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 this film is inaccurate, and the, the, the students uh, in Escalante's class did have to retake the test, though. And I think that that is just one of those unbelievable parts of the story. Am I wrong? Aren't these college AP tests like the SAT where nobody's getting the exact same tests who, from the person who's sitting to the right or left? Like, aren't they getting three or four copies of the test? Like, isn't cheating pretty hard to even do? It was the same for me. Everyone got the same test. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that seems like an oversight. Like, again, like the SAT, like they even warn you, which is fair 
like don't look at people's papers on the SAT because right. they're not taking the same test as you. Your number seventeen is not their question number seventeen. So, so during one of my my brief stints as an instructor at at uh, I don't want to affiliate myself with the university, so I won't say the university. During, Just say that I love it. At the university, <laughs> uh, I would hand out two versions of my tests for my statistics course. One of them was Form A, and one of them was Form B. Form A had a yellow cover sheet, Form B had a green cover sheet, and I made sure to split them up among all 35 students, and they were the exact same test. They just were told and lied to by me that they were different. So don't look at your, don't look at your uh, neighbor's um, Scantron, it'll be different. That was a lie. Ooh, <laughs> wow, Professor Melbardis and the un... The mental game, though. Mental game. Mr. Like Melbardis, I, al I always was sure to say, please do not call me professor. I have not earned that title, and I didn't. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a little uh, little trick of the trade. I don't remember, for in, in my instance, SAT or ACT, I don't, I don't remember uh, asking about if it was the same or knowing if it was the same. I, I feel like ETS is still the name in, like, testing, or it has been forever. And, and so I, I don't know if it, uh, clearly the way that um, Andy Garcia and uh, his colleagues, um, the way that they describe what happened was it was some type of match in like logical decision making that, that should have been wrong. The movie tries to insert a reason for that happening. The, uh, it's, it's when they're looking at, I believe, a sinusoidal curve and they're looking at something like, oh no, it should be like zero to two limit or something. And he gets it wrong. All the students get the same wrong answer. Something like that. They try to fit that in there. I don't know if that landed to everybody watching. Yeah. Other things that occurred to me is like, you get your scratch paper and you don't get to walk out with that either. They should have right. had the scratch paper, meaning how they showed their work. That should have been enough to not accuse them of cheating also. And then lastly, rather than making them or putting them in a position where they have to take the whole test again, I would think a mini test, again, of coming up with unique problems and just saying, like, here's 10 problems. If you exhibit the ability to do this cross section, then, yeah, you got it. But a full out retest to me is so extreme and just kind of over the top. I'm going to use a uh, former teacher of mine's uh, phrase here and respond to that with, well, Russell, that would have made too much sense. <laughs> yeah i just i found the problem solving of the ets group to be really disappointing we didn't have scratch paper for our ap calc exam it was just here's your paper this is what you do here's go ahead and write it on i got a two you needed a three for college credit so thank you to my ap calc teacher who was not mr escalante he was not <laughs> he was not chemo he no. was he was not funny he was Mr. Schiff or whoever that other dude was, the the music teacher. Yes. The, the most timid actor. You, <laughs> I, I, well, I, I teach music, actually. He, he did kind of right. look like Mr. Escalante. Oh, man. Hmm. Actually, right. He had the glasses, for sure. Yes. And the acne. And the comb over. And like yes. the old acne, yeah, yes. for sure. Yes, but other than that, he did not believe in any of us. <laughs> he just showed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now, again, let's talk about the cast here a little bit. Uh, one of the things that caught me, not only in addition to just getting to know Jaime Escalante is Edward James almost went through a hair thinning process to get that uh, actual, yeah. like, I, I don't know. I, it happens. 
on its own anyway. It's painful, so I wouldn't I wouldn't go running into a hair thinning process for sure. I'd be like, you get me a bald cap and put it on the makeup department. But uh, kudos to him. He committed to this. Some of us, our hair grows back. So I'm uh, I'm gloating a little bit over Russell right now. Boo. <laughs> he also got to gain 20 pounds, which I would think would be a lot of fun. Now taking it off, not so much, but. Yeah, I was going to say, that's another thing. Edward James almost is a good bit taller. Yeah. And even still, he's a good bit more slender than, than Jaime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked the posture and the... Um, I, I feel as if throughout the movie, the, the walking gait, the posture, perhaps it's the, the, um, the wardrobe as well. It does a really good job of setting him up as not a uh, fit man, as yes. sort of an older... Uh, the the clothing can go a long way. Um, Pre-record, we were talking a little bit about uh, George Clooney, and uh, I, I remember in the movie Burn After Reading, the wardrobe makes him look 20 years older, just kind of like normal dude. And it, it can do that, like wardrobe can really have that kind of effect on, um, on how uh, an actor's performance comes across. Plus adding lines like, nice floor. What are these, pine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Edward James almost though remains uh, close friends with Escalante all the way up until uh, his death. That's I just think that that kinship in that part of the story is really cool here. Like when you really get to know somebody, it uh, reminds me of a story here in Pittsburgh. The movie Fences was filmed, and Denzel Washington uh, was in a movie of a uh, prominent black writer, August Wilson, and August Wilson was from Pittsburgh, and uh, August Wilson's previous home uh was uh part of a kind of a center and a very um african-american part of the community and they wanted to restore the house and it's amazing uh denzel washington put his efforts into raising funds and he raised a large amount of money to help the august wilson foundation and to restore the old home so it's just one of those things where an actor takes a role but they fall in love with the person they're portraying in a very inspiring way and just as like edward james almost and the lou diamond phillips and the other actors were there for um jaime escalante i really love those stories when the person touches the actor so much that the actor feels the desire to reciprocate anything else on the cast that you did want to call out dustin i really like when you feel like the teenagers are teenagers and so uh, just a huge kudos to to all of the actors portraying uh lupe and uh javier the the kind of the bookworm with the glasses sitting at the front of the class uh, uh, claudia the the kind of the the stylish girl there's there's like a 30 second we'll call it a monologue where she's explaining the importance of calculus to her mom who is coloring her hair and it's like <laughs> It, it's it's the only <laughs> moment with her beside the moment when she confronts Jaime about using her social life as comedy that like she doesn't get that many moments. Um, but I, I feel as if um, some of the, the teenage style reactions from this cast are believable. I, I, I get a kick out of that, especially considering how many it's become just so common for um, young-looking twenty-somethings to play teenagers and everything, it, it, or mid-thirty-somethings, or mid-thirty-somethings, mm -hmm. uh, like myself. 
Uh, so like the the idea of that seeming believable and and not being distracted by it uh, was was enjoyable. They definitely hit all of the typologies of of students in the eighties. There have been some other typologies that have emerged since then, but they definitely definitely did the Breakfast Club thing and yes. and checked their boxes. They got geeky guy. They got rock and roll band guy. Yes. They got they got they got jock guy. They got uh, they <laughs> got popular girl and uh, they the nerdy girl and yeah. outcast tough guy bad boy. Yes. Yeah. So they they definitely they definitely did strong characterizations of them. But in doing so, its odds are almost everybody out there will identify with one of them. I think is what they're going for. Yeah. I mean, this was At probably in an amalgamation of all the students that he had over five, six years. So yeah, he probably did have a rocker guy who was just concerned with music or the, the nerdy quiet girl. Well, he clearly did. That was actually based on a real yeah. person, but you know, the popular girl who's just dating, he kept making jokes like you have too many boyfriends and not enough time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I did think that this movie followed the students around a little more than I wanted to at times in somewhat criticism of the director's storytelling. Like there were some scenes where Edward James almost had no connection to it, like where two of his students were kind of falling in love. And I felt like, I don't know, maybe it's just because they're not necessarily real people. I felt like the, I, I kind of wanted to keep the, maybe it's just because Edward James almost is that awesome that in this role that I kind of wanted the camera to stay on him because I didn't care as much about the students particular moments when almost is not around well this is a weird moment for the show because i'm usually the one that says screw those kids but yeah i wanted <laughs> i wanted more of these kids i didn't feel like we got enough personal attachment to them so i wanted more moments set like at the beach with them i wanted more moments of poncho being an idiot and just saying oh, yeah. oh with his girlfriend he's He's just like, well, it's a summer thing. I'm like, oh, you bonehead. You're not supposed to say that, Poncho. Yes. No, no. Yes, not, not out loud. That is the incorrect <laughs> statement. <laughs> no, no, actually, if it were a bigger part of the story, or if perhaps this was like a six-part to ten-part TV series, then perhaps we jump into the other interpersonal relationships between these kids. So, like, I, I do like their per their personal stories, if we're going to focus on them, we need more than an hour and a half movie. Strange, also, by the way, that I got an hour and a half movie. Most of my movies recently have been like three-hour hitters, so I was glad to get one I could just like knock out in less than two hours. Well, you can monetize this into uh, another one. You're right, Dustin. Everything has to have a sequel, so this movie, being a success at the time, would have to have a sequel. So the Lupe <laughs> love story and, and uh, Stand and Deliver 2, still standing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't stand so close to me. <laughs> yeah. No, Stand and Deliverance. Oh, nope, that's no good. No, no. <laughs> no, we don't want that one so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this movie's got it all. Standing and delivering. <laughs> the Domino's Pizza guy. <laughs> this movie has everything. <laughs> the, so, what do you think about Ramon Mendez's work here as the director? And also, by the way, Ramon Mendez works uh, as part of the writer as well the one thing i wanted to say was there's with almost being the lead and being a compelling lead that you do want to follow there's a lot of uh time spent on him after the action of a scene seems to be over there's several throughout the entire movie 
times when the camera's just kind of still on him, and what you're doing is you're getting a chance to watch Escalante in this situation think through what he's going to do next, or um, kind of figure out what has just happened when he's like new to the school, um, or when he's trying to decide, am I going to be rude to this person who's ignoring me? Or even towards the end, when he's waiting for the second round of calls about the scores, he's just kind of looking kind of down at the ground. Like, you, you see you see the focus, at, and this is, you know, Ramon Menendez's uh, uh, direction, or, or, like, choice to do this, is what does this, um, what does this character who is uh, thinking about things and, and obviously uses his mind to, 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 overanalyze decisions so much so that it, that it you know, the stress breaks him down you get to you get to see him in kind of real time like go over in his mind what he's going to do uh that that stood out to me particularly on the second rewatch yeah the cuban influence i i was happy to see that he was from cuba but he grew up in california but before they established this was east la like are we in havana there's a lot of those older 70s and 60s cars and if you look at pictures of havana and cuba well they like the classic cars for sure yeah yeah that's what's driven all along the streets and a lot of the music and things like that it's like okay this this strikes me as a very cuban mixture of a movie and sure enough ramon menendez that's that's where he grew up so i picked up a little bit of that he really hasn't done a whole lot else like one tv episode of tales from the crypt which i i cannot positively say if i've seen but a lot of these are just it's strange they make such a great movie and then money for nothing and i have no idea what else yeah first time writer and director ramon mendez and uh, his fellow ucla film school graduate tom musca secured the film rights to jaime escalante's story for only one dollar. So he just wanted to have the story told. It's like Stephen King. What is that? Stephen King sells a bunch of his novels to film students for a buck. Hmm. Didn't know that. That's part. cool to know. Yeah. So when the project was rejected by independent studios repeatedly, filmmakers financed the program with grants and endowments from institutions, including PBS. So this was a story that had a hard time getting told. The more you know. Yeah. But I, I, in a way, that's kind of fitting. You have to fight. That's kind of part of the message of this movie. You, whatever you do, you have to do it so much that you can overcome. You've got to have ganas. Yeah, you have, you have to, you have to overcome. One of the students mentioned whatever it is that you have to do, you have to do it really well, and then you have to do it beyond that to overcome that being a minority. So this being a story about minorities, um, it kind of showed even and reflected it in the making of this movie as a point you know it it, it's it is escalante saying that um you're going to be in a job interview and they're going to look at you differently because of your last name and because of the complexion of your skin Mm -hmm. um and that's it's being done and this actually happens a lot in the movie where there's something interesting some type of potential lesson being said but the camera is actually on someone else and they're they're oh they're acting away from the dialogue or in, in this case just like a, a sentence being said is compelling enough to where you're focusing on what they're doing when he's saying that 
thing about people are going to treat you different because of your complexion and your last name, what you're doing is you're looking at uh, Angel. You're looking at Louis uh, Louis Dimes. Uh, chew on a toothpick. <laughs> look, look. He's test. He's um, handing out those weekly tests, and he's trying to figure out. Like he's looking, like trying to get involved. So your focus is on him. But that's when that lesson is happening. Uh, is is. Um, but they don't care about your problems, and neither do I. <laughs> a, a very uh, like there's so much as as a guy who has taught and as someone who um it, this was another reason i chose this movie is because this is a, a cool topic to me um when you get those kinds of lessons uh saying something along the lines of um the students will rise to meet these expectations uh, like that he knows this will happen and it did um you know, you have to lay out what they what they need, and what they need is Gunnus. And I'm going to give them to you because I'm the champ. Like, I, I, I love... so All of the in-classroom stuff is so great. I did appreciate the other perspective that was coming from uh, the board advisor. Like, she had good intentions, but she was clearly in the wrong of saying, hey, don't give them these high expectations because when they fail, these aren't the kids that get back up from it. And yep. I, I think that's a lot of people that are trying to shelter these kids rather than I hated push that them. character. Yeah. But I think it's real. I appreciated that viewpoint of, okay, I can see what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, of These kids don't bounce back. But Yep. If they try and they don't succeed, it will shatter what little self-confidence they have. Yeah. Which is like, you're a parent. You guys are both parents. And, and you want to you want to think about what's best. And that happens a lot in this movie is, and almost uh, like not just to a fault, but almost problematically Escalante's character in this movie is as if only he knows what's best. Um, You have Anna's dad who runs the restaurant. Excuse me, sir. I'm her dad, not you. Like, like there, there is, I think he goes past the limit of trying to decide what's best for his kids. And obviously this is the, the, the whole point of the movie. But um, as someone who has been a part of uh, post-secondary education, I'm definitely not a guy who's like, nope, college is for everybody. You should all pursue college. There's the, the idea of if you've got an opportunity as a forklift oper- operator, that's great for a lot of people. Obviously, this movie is focusing on the potential that that character had. But um, yeah, I, I, I see both the like angel and devil part of that like the director of the mathematics department, whatever whatever her role was. I, I see both sides in, in, in her mindset. Oh, man. I wanted to take, like, uh, Michael Fassbender from, from the Jobs movie and, like, have him <laughs> yell at her, like, get out of here, like, with spit, like, coming out of his lips, like, saying, like, uh, good enough isn't good enough. Like, and, like, uh, send her mediocrity out the door. Yeah, um, that's, that's who you want in education is Steve Jobs. Um, I just wanted somebody to like, I really hated that character and I, I don't know. I just, I, Raquel, I, yeah, the department chair. I felt like, um, that is wrong. I think they, they, these kids are incredibly resilient. They deal with an enormous defeat after defeat, after defeat, after defeat, their whole life's nothing but defeat. And they're actually really resilient because they're still standing and delivering. <laughs> yes yes thank you <laughs> um, but, but they are still standing there these are actually really strong kids and when given hope to get out of it you got to take it and so to say that you're going to shelter them by saying like don't give them false hope well they might come up short but they're in no worse of a place than they are 
than they are when you put the really low expectations on them anyway. And so I liked I liked that this also brought forth that part of the education system, which, you know, teaching is really rewarding and, um, you know, helping people with their future. But yeah, the, the politics and the system of teaching, oof, I don't want any part of that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that they showed what he as a good teacher who's willing to kind of just break the system and to go beyond the, um, I would say the naysayers that come his way. I liked that part of this movie. And that was one of the things that made me like this character so much. She was a bit of a, a renegade who just didn't take the program for what it was and then said, all right, these are the problems we're supposed to give to the kids this year. And this is the, yeah, you know, we'll just get you ready for your standard test and call it a day. You know, I like the line when he said, do you want to work on the cars or do you want to design the cars? That Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's him recognizing that Poncho has this potential and that uh, with the direction, should he want it? Should he want the direction? Which is a conflict for him throughout the movie. Calculus or pursue, pursuing this uh, could lead to something better than settling. Yeah, that was a very good sub. I, I liked that climax. So when I said I didn't like the, the stories of the kids out of the class, I liked them when they were reacting to Jaime's character. So when Jaime was in the car with Pancho, <laughs> I liked that scene. I just didn't like Pancho doing the other stuff. You're just thinking about the turn. You're not thinking about where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But for some people, like Chuko, finger man, <laughs> you know, he couldn't take it and he just walked out. That kid's so good as like a high school bully. Like, yes, he is. Like, I, I, I had like three or four people just like enter my head, just like, oh man. This yeah. actor really makes me think of like people who like make me very uncomfortable. <laughs> like I went to school with and like not like directly like I didn't see people wearing a hairnet that like made me uncomfortable. Like but like uh, the mentality, the like mm-hmm. I just I'm just waiting to get in a fight. Like yeah. I want to get in a fight with anybody so I can show you how tough I am. And like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So. I had a I had a finger man try and pick a fight with me as well. Oh man, I think every school has. A finger man. Yes. And I love, yeah. and I also like showing a teacher, like make him seem, put him in his place in front of everybody. And I love it when the bully gets, you know, humbled. Yeah. <laughs> He's doing the t- multiplication tables on his fingers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty neat yeah. trick. I hadn't actually seen that. Yeah. But I mean, uh, it was also. Oh, you, are you talking about the trick where he goes, I know the ones, the twos, and the threes, and flips on the bird? Are you talking about the trick where you can use your, your fingers to do your times tables for real? Yeah, uh, for the multiple multiples of nine, I'd never seen that. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I uh, I didn't get that one either. I had the little uh, plastic button matrix that you push the buttons yes. down, mm-hmm. and you could see the answer once you pushed it down. Yeah, so just memorize it. Remarkably yeah. low tech in comparison to today's time. So this is now <laughs> retro education roundtable as well too. So we used our right, abacuses. <laughs> Exclusive content. <laughs> Spinoff podcast. Nobody will buy this on Patreon. <laughs> it comes with a t-shirt. <laughs> Do you remember the TI-28 calculator by Solar Instruments? I did. <laughs> I, I, I do want to say, I know we're not to superlatives, but uh, the, I had to get this hidden gem out. Somebody says, hey, man, I can get a solar calculator for, with, with a dozen donuts. Yeah. When they're at the little snack shop later, you can see the sign that says, 
free solar calculator with a dozen donuts. I don't know if you guys <laughs> noticed that. It's it it is it is advertised when Poncho is bringing the hot dogs over to Lupe and um, Tito. It actually says that in the window. I loved it. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice detail find in there. I like that. Uh, although the uh, film is set in Garfield High School in East Los Angeles, for some reason of which I couldn't find out, most of it's filmed in Roosevelt High School in Boyle Heights, Los Angeles. I don't know why. Maybe they've renovated Garfield to a point where when they filmed this movie, it no longer kind of represented the time period that they're portraying. It's kind of odd that that's kind of a rival school. Yeah, uh, it's the cross-town rival, yeah. Yeah, so that one kind of had me asking why do that. There are outside shots of Garfield in here, but most of it's actually filmed in Roosevelt. So, And then one of the things that I actually thought was interesting, when you look at it online, it's a great school's rating is not all that bad. It has a 94% high school graduation rate, which this movie depicted a bleaker situation. Their college readiness is, is well below the California average. But one thing that did really catch me is uh, it seemed exaggerated in the movie. But honestly, to this day, the school is 99% Hispanic still. Yeah. So, and as I mentioned, it was one of those things where I couldn't help but just dig into it a little bit. Um, schools are hyper segregated and across the country, uh, schools where there are no white students or very, very, very few white students has tripled since 90, since a 91 survey of, that was done by UCLA in this, and that's across the country. So it's, what's interesting is it's more pronounced now, this kind of environment that they're depicting here is actually growing to be, I said before, this film is very relevant from its social issues, actually from its educational standpoint. As well as this, this is a story that probably needs to be reviewed again, and maybe it should be remade, not because this movie is not good enough, but just because the messages in this movie are more than ever relevant. And if you think that that's all uh, just Texas or California or even red states hyper segregating, that's not the case either. It's actually most pronounced in northeastern states. So, wow, um, it's it's one of those really, really interesting things once you start to dig into it. There are a lot of social issues that are represented in this. Yeah. Did your high school have uh, separate buildings separated by outdoor areas with like outdoor lockers or like areas to sit and eat lunch? In junior yeah. high, we had to do a couple of like expansion portables, but that was it. Yeah. No, we, we didn't. I mean, West Virginia is not a place that has nice enough weather for most of the school year to be able to get away with that. So, uh. um, no. My, my school didn't either, but I was just thinking to myself... Um, I'm wondering if students today would recognize the like exterior shots of of that outdoor area in like LA schools, because um, I was I, I was actually just thinking about would they recognize the relationship between teacher and student and kind of how I, I do believe that um, teenagers even the toughest teenagers when they meet an adult whether it's a teacher or a principal or somebody that like, tells them to go do something how even the toughest guys in this movie like. You know, he says, hey, sit at the front of the class. And he sits at the front of the class. He says, stay behind afterwards. And he stays behind afterwards. So I'm wondering if, like, there's a disconnect between what that teacher-student relationship is in this movie compared to what they might experience today. You know, it's been years, of course, since I've been in high school. So I, it, it just seems as if if you were to show this to a 16-year-old, if it would even land quite the same way. It's a good question. I, I, I think with the way... Again, a lot of these social, educa educational, and societal issues are coming up. I'm willing to say it might resonate more today. That's just my guess. Oh, I'm positive. 
Although there's there's also backlash. You this gets shown to kids all the time of basically we'll rise up to your expectations and there's also kind of a white savior background to it that becomes problematic as well. So mm. it it has to be used correctly. Uh, Freedom Riders is another one that gets shown to a lot of kids and it's basically like, hey, you're poor, do better. These kids do better. But the teachers aren't really putting in the investments. They're just saying, these guys did it, you can. And, you know, it's it's being used as a cudgel rather than, you know, actual motivation. That's another reason the story is pretty cool, to your point. It shows somebody who got out, stood out, exceeded, succeeded at a very high level. And then turned back to come back, turned it all away to come back and teach people to help elevate everybody that he could within uh, his Hispanic community where, you know, where he lives. And um, to your point, that's a good point that they it's not just the white savior thing. And also, I got to give him credit because at this point they were making that mistake a lot. The cast is Hispanic, too. So the students in Mm -hmm. the classes, um, you didn't have white guy with accent you know um just doing you know this was still common practice in the 80s so uh because it was an independent film and it was a story about a hispanic community about a hispanic teacher uh this is possibly part of the reason why it didn't get picked up by the studios but i mean credit to them for doing it the right way and holding out for it and i'm glad it got some award buzz because it brought attention to a movie that i think deserves attention yeah so um now in terms of the look and feel of the environments or sorry not the environments but in terms of the wardrobe we're in the 80s which is this is a hard time for me (laughs) dustin are there any fun wardrobe points that you wanted to point out here i certain there are a lot of fun wardrobe points i think that what i wanted to say about this if we're going to talk about it in a general way instead of like the best way was that um, I think I think TV shows or anything that tries to hit an 80s aesthetic tries too hard to hit the things that stand out to us. For instance, if I were to make a joke answer, it would be like windbreaker material for the early 90s. Or I would talk about, um, you know, certain, like the, the high-waistedness of denim for certain times. Um, I thought, I mean, and because it was, it was only like six to seven years removed from the time it was showing, um, you know, the the length of the skirts for the females, one, based on the likely high, um, like the, the uh, overbearing uh, Latina parents, uh, the idea of uh, that these are likely all Catholic kids, um, but you don't have like too much short skirt type stuff. Um, the uh, I really I really dug uh, Louis Dimes character with the, the Chino pants. The high waisted, the big this, the chino clearly, pants. They, yeah. like, they, 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 those were huge legs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 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 the, you've got the the what has become the stereotypical uh, shirt with the top button buttoned. I think uh, there was a lot of stuff. That, I don't want to get into too many details because we will do that a little bit later. But um, I think this is done better than um, what uh, modern. Like I'm thinking of Stranger Things that goes back, or you know, of modern movies that go back to the '80s. I think do it a little too cartoonishly. And this was, this was about as seemingly accurate as I could think of it to be. Well, this isn't as removed. I will admit, right, I felt like a couple years later. this is telling you the story of the early 80s and it's made in the later 80s. And I honestly thought we were, I had kind of transported us and I, throughout the movie, I'm thinking we're in the later 80s actually. Hmm. And I didn't, I didn't feel like that footstep that 
because uh, I didn't have that footstep coming out of the 70s feeling. I felt like we were decisively in the 80s. But <laughs> It was um, the hair. The hair did it. Maybe. I mean, brutal glasses. The hair ruled. Like, yeah. like the glasses had left 70s, like wire framey glasses, and they were... These were the rough glasses. Like <laughs> this, this was a rough time to have visual correction. Uh, I think. I was wondering if uh, Jaime wore that particular style jacket and cabbie hat. Uh, yeah, there's a picture and, of him. Yeah, which is why that choice was made for for the character. Like it, it kind of caught me off guard. I wonder also if he did keep it in his briefcase when he wasn't wearing it. If you noticed that was done in the movie. I hope so. But yeah, there was a picture of him right next to. Uh... I just lost his name, the actor. Edward James Olmos? Yes, Ed- Edward Olmos. And same same outfit. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, in fairness, on the real actual Jaime, when he wears that real hat, it actually is quite flattering for his real comb over that isn't so good. So it's it, it covers up just the right amount. Yeah. So. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it was a good choice. Soundtrack. I actually felt like this was... A big miss for the movie. I felt like the director didn't know how to use the music very well. And I'm not just going to pick on like the end song that uh, comes on. Like, <laughs> that, that's pretty rough. But um, that may cost an entire store. Yeah. <laughs> the um, the, distra- the distracting moments, though, here and there, like whether it be the tense moments or the dramatic moments, or I'll tell you one that like uh, Mary pointed out, she was watching the movie with me at one point. Uh, there was a fight between the students and the teacher goes to break it up and they're just like playing like these strings like and, like I'm just like this is like a bad sitcom like this is rough and it was a tense moment like you should kind of be worried like this is kind of the this is the atmosphere that we're in and yeah the cheapness of the music was a bummer I don't know whether you can just go ahead and try and dive into the local scene maybe that Hispanic community has a special maybe you can get the right music of certain strings and stuff like that but this felt like too much synthesizer too much cheap echoey guitar and uh that doesn't serve the time well i'm sorry it doesn't serve the movie well you're right i will go ahead and say and I'll, i'll i'll make it a flat statement um of all the movies i've covered on this podcast this is the worst soundtrack of any of them yeah yep yeah, I have to. Agree. I think we can all agree it was it was bad. It doesn't hit. Um, it seems wrong. It seems like inexperience working with it. Uh, regardless of what the truth is, it came across poorly. The first note that I have is beautiful shot of the L.A. River, and then overly bright pan pipes, opening uh, douchey drums. Uh oh, this isn't a good start. <laughs> <laughs> and then later. Uh oh, ay dios mío. And then later on, I wrote. Uh, these cheap bendy guitar notes belong in an '80s porn dialogue scene, not here in this good movie. <laughs> so, yeah, it's bad. It did. I, I go back to Dangerous Minds. Like Dangerous Minds was elevated by its soundtrack. It in, in and of itself, it's not a great movie, but it's remembered because of Gangster's Paradise. It's a good song. It's a great song. So yeah, it's a shame here that we just don't get that soundtrack that accompanies a great movie. Yeah, they needed some Coolio. They do. Go get Coolio. I don't know how relevant it is for a Latino. Guys, you heard it. It's the motto of Retro Movie Roundtable every week. Go get Coolio. Yes. Yes. Amadeus, what it really needed was Coolio. 
<laughs> I think I think Mozart would have gotten along with with Coolio. I, just, yes, yes. Like, I think they would have been hanging out with their outlandish hairstyles. I, you know, go sing. My heart will go on. That's fine. It would be improved. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, are you guys ready to hand out some awards for this movie, though? Absolutely. All right, Dustin, yes, why don't you start us off with who's your MVP? And I think I know who this is going to be. Actually, my my MVP for the movie is Jaime Escalante himself. Oh, who the story is outside the on. box, and that's a great choice. And and I mean, clearly, Edward James almost does a great job portraying him, and uh, the 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 way that this. Because it's so close to the true story, I'd rather give the credit to the the man himself. Um, I believe this is very. I believe this is great for showing what tough love is. A lot of times, tough love is unfortunately just the tough part without the love part. That's easier to do the um, cruelty and the directness and almost um, like harsh tones without the uh, requisite love on the other end. And I have to imagine that, that this is the best version of tough love I think I've seen. So um, that's my, my answer is Jaime himself. Nice. Chad, what about you? Who's your MVP? I'm glad Dustin did it because I was very tempted. But yeah, I'm going Edward James almost. Just every time he was on screen, I was entranced. I loved his performance and... Even if it's very, very true to Jaime, he delivered. So, great job. Edward James almost gets it for me. I actually don't often see an actor dive this much into the connection with the real person and being there for him as his health declines later medically. I mean, doing the hair thinning process, physically committing to the role, gaining weight. He put all of himself in it. And I, when you say, like, when you get nominated for Best Actor, and that's... That to me is commitment to the role. Great job, and uh, I think that he helped. I think he helped tell the story of Jaime Escalante, and then also really encapsulated that for for all the time because Jaime is gone at this point, and because this movie is still living on, we're still talking about it to this day. Yeah. So, uh, Dustin, who's your best supporting? Is it Louis Dimes? It was going to be Louis Dimes, uh, it, but because I do, I do appreciate what he does and his role. I'm actually going to go with uh, Will Gotay as Poncho, and oh. maybe you can tell because I talked about that character so much. I feel like he's necessary. Um, what is known is that uh, Louis Dimes' character, Angel, is very smart and is playing the role of uh, thug friend. But what we know about Poncho, he's the only one out of the final group that scores a three. He's the one that's most conflicted. Uh, it's possible that I'm. It's this is actually like my favorite character, not best supporting actor, but I but I liked Will Gotay. I don't know him in anything else, but um, I, I feel as if uh, like that journey of that character was maybe one of my favorite. Uh, we'll call it side stories. Um, so 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 I'm um, outnumbered on this one officially. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do I do like I do like what he what um, he brought to the the movie in terms of like like he, his presence. When he's when he's on screen, I enjoy. So that's it's a why I, thing. I'm giving it to him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Chad, who's your best supporting? Going with Lou Diamond Phillips. I, Louis Dimes. It was a very difficult character to like. He, the character himself makes very irrational decisions at times, and it's like I really want to hate this kid, but the performance was just heartfelt, 
And you, you really connect with the conflict of, okay, I want to get out of the gang life, but I don't really know how I want to do better, but I've got this sick grandmother and everything else that's going on. You know, he's still got that rough edge to him, but he's really rounding out through this movie. Yeah, that scene where he's taunting the police, he's definitely walking the line of getting arrested himself, but I thought that was a really interesting scene to your point. Yeah. When he was like, I got to get out of this, and this is my chance of like going big and blowing it up and saying, I'm gone. Like, I'm too crazy for you, crazy guy. (laughs) But bold move, it could backfire very easily. Yeah. With yeah. a different set of policemen, yeah, it could have. Yeah, do not taunt the cops. Yeah, don't do that. My best supporting actor, I'm going to go with Andy Garcia, actually. I just really hated him in this. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, I really wanted to go with Lou Diamond Phillips, but the, the degree of contempt that I had for Andy Garcia's character, it's an actor playing a, a despicable situation, the retesting and stuff, but he nailed the, uh, I hate this guy, so... Mm-hmm. Andy Garcia was actually originally cast to be one of the students. Yeah. And uh, Jaime Escalantes, or sorry, one of the students. And later he convinced the director to give him the role of Dr. Ramirez. And uh, it was revealed by Garcia himself. And in the 98 interview when the movie was released, um, that he had promoted himself up into this antagonist character. So that's a cool story, too, of, you know, he's a little bit young for the role that he's playing here, but. He he definitely nails that goobery elitist um, kind of vibe on this one. But I'm that glad shows you the importance of the importance of good skincare routine. He's got some incredible skin. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, or or is, am I wrong in saying maybe that's just because he's playing opposite Edward James Olmos? <laughs> that, that, that does help. Yeah. <laughs> it is like a clear cell commercial. Like once the translucent circle goes in front of his face, then 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 it looks like that. Yeah. That's how the car- that, that's how it works, right? Like the cartoon that's, blemish that yeah, just but... magically goes away. All right, uh, but I'm glad. You, by the way, I'm glad you did pick with Diamond Phillips because I I also want to give a shout out to that great job on that one. So, yeah. uh, hidden gem, Dustin. I've got two minor gem, major gem. We'll start with minor gem. <clears throat> Javier is reading the book Dune. We'll just say that for our other hosts. Yeah. Um, and uh, the major gem is actually Lou Diamond Phillips' role as kind of a comedy. A, a comedy relief in this. Uh, he's funny in this movie. Yes, um, he is. The yeah. character's funny. Uh, that's not the the thing that about like that's not the driving force of his character. But um, when he, he when he points out that the principal and the chair come in and he starts saying the late oh late 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 when uh, Tito in front of him falls asleep he raises his hand and just without saying a word just points down at him uh, to kind of get his friend in trouble. It's, it, I, I think the comedy of that character is uh, maybe not, it's not at the forefront of that character. So that's why it's Hidden Gem to me. Yeah, yeah. And I actually thought it was both touching and funny when he showed up on the Christmas time to his teacher's that house. That was funny. Yeah. yeah. Like, like something smells good in here. <laughs> yeah. Like it was touching in that he was like, I do have a sick grandmother. Yes. Like, and I want you to see that because I really care and I want back in and I need a, I need a third chance. But like, on the mm-hmm. other hand, it was also funny. of just like, we're coming in for dinner now. You brought your abuela? That's, that's low. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he knows it, too. It was That was very good. Uh, Chad Hidden Gem. Daniel Villarreal. Uh, he plays Chuko Fingerman. He's uh, good. Yeah. Great punk. I kind of wanted more of him after he gets... I wanted his life to turn around after Angel just leaves. 
Well, maybe in Sand Delivered 2, the Poncho and Lupe love story, uh, still standing. Colin's still standing. Colin's um, still standing, yeah. Uh, you you can have more of him. Maybe he'll come back and try and lure, try and lure Angel back into the gang life. <laughs> you don't need calculus. <laughs> If you remember, after he after he pushes him down and Angel walks away, and this I thought was a very teen thing to do, like well done. He's, Where are you going? And the last thing he says in that scene is "Come back!" Like, mm-hmm. come on, you're no, this wasn't for real. Like, like this argument. Wait, are we actually fighting? <laughs> or, no, right. wait, come back. I I thought that was like accurate for how these are essentially these are children and children think like no 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 for real come back. No, I'm walking away, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. That was that, that was a sharp moment for sure. Mine hidden gem. Uh, I also I have to do too. Sorry, Estelle Harris as the secretary is George's mother from <laughs> Seinfeld. Like yeah. her voice, like I recognized her voice and processed it before I saw the face and like processed it. So, but I also want to give uh, Fernando Escalante uh, is uh, Bodie almost in this. So. They actually got the actor's son yep. to play his son, and I always like stuff like that. Yeah. That is cool. Uh, recast, Dustin, if you had to recast somebody and put somebody in their place, who's it going to be? If you have to recast somebody, and so I was thinking about one of, like, let's just say a kid that, that should have some focus. I'm In my head, I go, I wonder what Luis Guzman is doing right now. <laughs> 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 like, what is, what is he doing right now? The same shtick he does in everything? Only maybe he's a teenager. Let's throw him in the mix. So nice. he, he, so he's, he's, uh, you know, he's Javier or he's Pancho or you know. So I don't know who he is, but he's someone. So that's that's how I do that. that that's my cheap way of getting around recasting someone. Is I just toss a Luis Guzman in. Okay. Right. Now, uh, Chad, who are you going to recast? Mark Elliott's Armando Tito Guitaro. Uh, that's. Mm. Yeah. The incomparable. Yeah. yeah. The, the wannabe musician. When I read that, I was like, oh, his last name was Guitaro and he wants to be in a band. That's, like, that's a bit heavy handed <laughs> there, but whatever. Uh, I'm going to recast him with Emilio Estevez. Hell oh, yeah. 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 Well, you just made this a lot better. <laughs> yeah. I actually thought he was the weakest student as well, but yeah. I'm going to go for somebody who's even weaker than the weakest student link. I didn't like neighbor computer guy. Like, 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 I thought he was bad at every turn. Every line that he had was, was, was heavy to me. He was just Tied the annoying, annoying, stereotypical white guy next door. Like, he played mm. that part to perfection. It was, I don't know. So, bear with me on this one. I'm, I actually want to go younger on this one. I think I'd like to have Kevin Bacon okay. do this role. Well, why? Though? Why, why Kevin Bacon in that role? Because now we can like him? Do we no. want to like the neighbor now? He's just trying to cheat in 60 degrees of separation. Oh, make the game easier than it already is. <laughs> every movie should, should have Kevin. Every movie should have <laughs> Everything's better with bacon. I'll start by saying that. Um, but for one, I think that uh, I think that he can have that like somewhat of a... Mm, there's, there, there's a degree of to be resented in this character that you have, of like you, the privilege that you, mm. that you don't quite realize that you have. And he's not meaning to be, but like, oh, yeah, my daughter does that in high school. Yep. There's a little yep. bit of a dislikability. His house, if you look closely, is very modern. It's very cool, even though it's sitting right next door to uh, Jaime's house, which is not it's not special. And so uh, I think that that contrast would be more pronounced with Kevin Bacon. 
So I'm getting him not just because he's a good actor and this movie needs more good actors as as you have both put more good actors into this. I'm getting him because I think that, A, I think he's a good actor, but I also think that he can convey inadvertently coming off as being a little bit dislikable. Um, and he's and he's and he's more handsome. Well, he, you know, like like yes. like the dislike. Yeah, like that helps too. Oh yeah, I, I'm I, I I'm picking up what you're laying down now. Yeah, Brent. yeah, exactly. I, like the, the guy who just kind of has it all and doesn't realize he has it all, kind of yeah. thing. And he's not going out of his way to be a jerk about it, but he can, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's like yeah. Owen Wilson. And at the end of this movie, when that terrible music plays, the only way that it could possibly be made better is with some dancing. And I think that he could come back and dance for us, and then I'd be like, "All right, okay, I get this now." Sorry. <laughs> So yeah. Anyway, best shot, Dustin. Best shot is um, during the scene. Minus two plus two equals minus two plus. Just fill the hole, fill the hole. And when he looks down at Angel, he's anyone can do it. And he looks down at him. He goes, "I'll snap your neck like a toothpick." <laughs> and at that moment, both both Angel and his friend look up at. Oh, did my teacher just say this? That's the shot of like, oh, this guys for real not the shot when he's wearing like the little uh the little paper hat like a fast food worker not any of the other lesson scenes it's that one where he's you know minus two plus two equals that particular scene or shot is it's, what it's a low shot it's from the student's vantage point it shows that he he's he's a little intimidating and he, hey. he knows that he needs to be intimidating with that character that's, a, that's a good point teacher or not they're not letting you bring a butcher's knife into school anymore swedish chef would have a hard time and <laughs> and the new in the modern day school system mm-hmm. you're right Fork, fork. Yeah, no tolerance policy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chad, best Go shot see of the movie. This Sweden. Yeah, that's that's now my recast is <laughs> for Jaime Escalante, the Swedish chef. Very Turn in the living room. <laughs> um, yeah, best shot for me. I, this wasn't really a cinematic film. No, uh, it's shot in a dingy, fluorescent, like lit high school it's not a pretty like school i i'm going with one of the opening shots camera's practically on the ground in a riverbed and you get a nice shot under the bridges i'm like this is a very wet cameraman right now this is a surprisingly <laughs> good shot yeah i appreciate the dedication because that dude was miserable the, yeah the, the one point perspective like where you think you're on an ocean and then it turns up that you're right in the la river and stuff like that yeah that was good marred by the music but yes <laughs> uh, the shot uh for me Chad picked one of my top two, but I actually like the heart attack shot. It's actually yep. difficult to do because he's going down the stairs and you have to move the camera. It zooms in on him, like grabbing his chest and there's a disorienting feel. So this is not a pretty movie, as Chad said, cinema- cinematically, but the fear of um, what it's like to have a heart attack, which I've been fortunate enough to not have, y- you feel it in this scene, especially the head hit. Because, like, he, he switches, like, they hit a landing and he moves on to another set of stairs. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it looks painful in every way. And that's good camera work. Yep. Good call. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good shot. Powerful shot. Best scene, Dustin. Best scene for me is the ETS classroom interrogation of the students uh, with the whole group of students uh, and the, the two gentlemen. Um, there's a couple things that happen in this scene. One, there is a tenseness. Um, two, they're saying, hey, we're not cops. Just come on. Just l- somebody say something. Let us know. Um, the, the next thing that happens is um, <clears throat> Javier stands up. He's the bookworm guy. 
and he walks past Andy Garcia and he gives him a look, very particular type of look that Angel notices and kind of gives him like a, oh, like you're, you're acting tough. And he does. It kind of shows how these students rubbed off on each other. Um, and then that scene kind of culminates with uh, Angel pretending like, like, hey, why don't we just admit that we cheated? Yeah, I strangled him. His body's decomposing in my locker. <laughs> and, and that leads to Poncho laughing the loudest laugh. The whole class is laughing at these two guys. Like, like and, and, and then he hits them with the, the, two, the, the, the two knuckles forward, um, which is now, like, kind of, uh, to me, a great way to, like, if I'm on the road, somebody cuts me off, I'm going to give them the two knuckles. Like, <laughs> the F.U. knuckles, man. I I loved that whole scene. I thought I thought it showed this group of people that weren't a unit before now are. I love it when a teacher, sorry, grown-ups with authority acting stupid are then made to feel stupid by teenagers. <laughs> I like any scene like that. Plays the rebellious feel in that one. I love it. Chad. Totally. Yeah, what's your best scene? I'm actually going to pick another scene with the students without Jaime again. It's oh, the, no. oh, it's no. the oh, beach no. scene for me. I love everyone. I did like the beach scene. They're celebrating. They're running in with their clothes. And then Angel's got on nice clothes. He he's, doesn't want to. He's like, no, I'm not coming in. I'm not coming in. Like, just, just come in with your clothes. And he takes them all off and folds them on the beach. That was just a great scene of them bonding after they... They took their test. Yeah, that shows that the students galvanized. This breakfast club assortment of all these uh, typologies the students have come together just by giving up their entire summer to, which, you know, is valuable as a teenager uh, together. And that would galvanize any group of people, quite certainly. Yeah, it cost them money, too. Because, mm -hmm. like, Poncho, he was going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw it, too, when he returned to the classroom as well. Yeah. Everybody genuinely was happy. So good, good moments. Oh yeah, good moments for yeah. that. But my best scene is actually going to come. I really like the combination of Angel and Jaime. And when Angel early in the movie comes to Jaime and says, "Can I have an extra book so that I don't have to be seen carrying it around?" and and uh, he says, "I'll give you three: one for your locker, one for here in school, and one for at home." And he even says, "Like this book's not in very good shape." Like it shows, <laughs> it shows that he cares. And I really like that. I have to keep up my appearances as being a tough guy, but, and the teacher, instead of most people just brush that off and say, you're stupid, don't look, never act like an idiot. He just kind of got it. And he supported him and said, here you go. And early on, the two, these two, to me, I wanted more focus on these two and less focus on the other students out of class. I just, for some reason, these two and combined made for all the best uh, Had this story come out during peak TV, it would have been a great six to ten episode series where, where we could focus on these relationships more. Yeah. Get on it, Netflix. Cancel it after three seasons like everything else. <laughs> Didn't Netflix recently do like a Selena-based uh, series? Ooh, I, I don't wants know. to touch that again? That, that, that was done pretty well the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Best wardrobe moment. D Dustin. So uh, there's a lot of good wardrobe in the movie. My favorite is the principal. Uh, they really nailed it. He looks like a principal. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, his clo his clothing, for some reason, uh, the sleeves of his, of his jacket are really, really thin. Uh, and that makes him look lankier. Um, I, I'm just going to ask a question to you guys. You're familiar with Super Mario? Yeah. You guys familiar with Wario? Yes. Yeah. You guys familiar with Waluigi? Definitely. Mm -hmm. That's the principal. I love him. 
I like the I like the trip you took us on there. Chad, yeah. best best wardrobe. <laughs> I think the fishnet on Angel and the fact that Kimo calls him out for it. He calls him nethead. I enjoyed the ridiculous wardrobe and the ridiculous call out. Yeah. I'm gonna go with Edward James Olmos's astoundingly bad comb over. Like you would think <laughs> yeah. that like any Hollywood movie makes anybody look better to your point. Like a principal looks better than a goofy actual principal. Like uh, a teacher doesn't come off as being as frumpy in this one. Again, Edward James almost commits to it. Like there's something remarkably not cool and remarkably ordinary about him. And he took it to the nth degree. So good job. Um, change one thing. Dustin. There's, a, there's actually a lot of things I would change about this movie. Um, but it can only be one. It can only be one. So I'm going to choose the comparison between the justice system and the conflict between the ETS and the students. I think this was done to dumb it down for the audience. The whole thing like, I thought in this country you were innocent until proven guilty. I think it's a bad comparison. And, and so, and, and, and I feel like the, the conflict at the end of this movie is flimsy. Uh, the, the guys are just doing their job in like they, especially because Andy Garcia's character comes from that neighborhood. He's not trying to target that neighborhood. There, there is, I think that that relationship is, is like flimsy. That conflict ends up being flimsy. It needs to culminate in something, but I don't like that culmination. And I especially don't like the comparison with like, um, guilty or not guilty or whatever. Uh, so that's the thing I would, I would change. I, I don't know how, how to make it better. I just, we, we got to eliminate the, the comparison to the justice system of innocent versus guilty. Hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Especially because it's not innocent versus guilty. When you go, to, you're either guilty or not guilty. There is no such thing as innocence. In it, it's always been guilty or not guilty. That's where labeling theory comes from. Uh, uh, Ray Lewis was found not guilty. <laughs> you know, O.J. Simpson was found not guilty. It not that's different than innocence. And I'm gonna back off now because I could keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, uh, Chad, change one thing. We've harped on it a lot, but I want better for this soundtrack. I feel like a soundtrack would really push this movie beyond even... It's great already, Mm -hmm. but it could be upper echelons. And unfortunately, budget reasons or whatever else... I suspect that's part of it. Yeah. We got what we got, and I'm sad about it. Yeah. Uh, I'm tempted to go that way, but actually, I think there's something that bothers me even more than the soundtrack and that's the retesting portion of this movie it it is false tension and it sh- it should be shortened considerably i want that time to be given to the focusing nature of the mentoring relationship of the teacher and his students yeah. not the students which their story is remarkable but i don't want to see them sitting there taking a test for the second time with like more bad music playing as they're like sweating and taking their test and chewing on their pencils and like it's like i know they have this they've already done it and this fake tension of whether they'll pass it the second time i didn't this is bad suspense in my opinion yeah this 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 doesn't work and they they commit a lot of time to it i didn't time it out but i mean i felt like it was like we're in here for minutes too long give me another give me another scene between angel and jaime instead of this i i agree but i think you're gonna wind up getting this in like a pitch meeting youtube where it's like a five minute difference between fail or not passing and then passing it's like 
Oh, that sounds like it'll be difficult for him. No, it'll be super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I agreed. And so I, uh, I just, I felt like that was, they were just, I don't know, you're in the back eighth of the movie at that point. Yeah. And like, I just feel like that's one more quote unquote turn that's not doing it for me. So, oh, and this time the proctors are the two doctors. And I know. That's going to make. That's what you're, you're misusing their time. Their time is more valuable than that. They should be good to doing something else. Come on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's just, uh, we ran out of money to pay extras. So <laughs> this whole scene, yeah. this whole scene was rubbing me wrong. Even the first pass, the second pass, then I started to really get stuck on it. So yeah. Dustin, what's your best quote of the movie? I was looking forward to going first because my best quote of the movie is, Hey, Kimo, you proud of me? First dude here. Let's go coolest. <laughs> What's calculus is the best quote from the movie. <laughs> Chad, what are you, what's your best quote? Do you think I want to do this? The Japanese pay me to do this. They're tired of making everything. <laughs> uh, there's there's a really good line where um, uh, Pancho is having a hard time and he's really frustrated and the teacher goes, do you want me to do it for you? And he goes, yes! He goes, you're supposed to say no. <laughs> yeah. The honesty of Poncho. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. That's good. I, I, I just like the disappointment of just like, you're supposed to say <laughs> no. Uh, that, that got a, I got a good laugh out of the teacher's reaction on that one. Although I did like the, uh, when he first walked into the classroom, someone said, uh, it's like, uh, are you uh, teacher? Uh, are we going to talk about sex today? He goes, if I, if I talk about sex, I have to sign it for homework. Is it true intelligent people make better lovers? Yeah, he said so many things that I think we <sighs> would get in trouble with as a teacher today. But oh, I'm glad yeah. That he did it. Yeah. But in doing so, he connects to the students. If, yeah. you, if, you, if you break those lines of what a stiff, that, that stiff role is supposed to be, then you're going to connect with the students more. And he did that, as, just as uh, Chad's teacher, Mrs. Clark, did, because she, she did walk that line. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, she, she <laughs> got in trouble a little there. bit here, there. And uh, I, sh- that's, good, that's good teaching. In my she opinion. was a great teacher. Great teacher. It comes that time, Dustin, on a five-star scale, half-star intervals, what do you give 1988 Stand and Deliver? I'm going to start with the rating. 3.5. I like this movie. Pacing's too fast. It does happen over a period of two years. Don't love the ending. Don't love the conflict toward the end. So many delightful parts of this movie, things that made me laugh out loud, things that I love, whether it's my favorite quote, whether it's something, you know, at the end in English, sometimes there are things <laughs> that are great that I will think about, uh, you know, the F you on the knuckles, uh, the, the, the great scenes that I will come back to. But overall, I think the, the movie fails in, in enough ways, uh, including the, the final song as he's walking down the hallway. Um, it's like, Hey, can you make the end of Breakfast Club, but make it badly? Sure. Stand and deliver. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it's a 3.5. It would be higher, but there were too many, too many things that stood out as um, missing the mark. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Now, Chad, what, what are you going to go with? I'm going with a four. I thought this was incredibly enjoyable. First, first watch, and it will definitely be one that I rewatch. Yeah. I'm with you. The the parts that I like make me like it enough. I've harped on certain problems, and those problems are certainly there. And it probably sounded like, when what I said throughout this probably puts me more with where Dustin is at 3.5, but it's just so darn enjoyable. And I like a feel-good movie. 
and the fact that it's a real story that's worth telling that I would never know about, some of that elevates it up as well as the uh, commitment that Edward James almost does. So that's where I'm going to go with four as well. So um, problems, room for improvement. Dustin, it sounds like you'd be willing to remake this today. Yes, uh, you're not the first person to tell me to act. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you to all the other people who've told me. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, yeah, that's a good idea. And uh, hey, get on Patreon, guys. We can fund this. Retro movie fun table. With I'll buy us. the story for $1. <laughs> <laughs> well, Excellent. inflation. I'll buy it for $3. I could be Andy Garcia's role. I have a very punchable face. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would remake it, not because this movie's not good but just because the story is good enough that i think it needs a refresher and shouldn't be forgotten that's kind of where i come across it and furthermore it'll just turn more people to go back and look at the original again so i say go ahead and remake this one steven it it really is kind of a bummer to me to give it the score i did because i would have the story is great and and it got me to choose this movie but i there there was too much for me to give it uh, a four or higher no that's fine yeah that's right yeah now chad do you want to help me pick a movie for next time love to it's time for some science fiction. Excellent. And option one, Sunshine from 2007. A special team of international astronauts are sent on a dangerous mission to reignite a dying sun with a nuclear fission bomb in 2057. Option two, Pandorum from 2009. Two crew members of a spaceship wake up from hypersleep to discover all of their colleagues are missing. Despite this, it appears as that they are not alone. And option three, Moon, 2009. An astronaut, Sam Bell, is a quintessentially personal encounter towards the end of his three-year stint on the moon, where he is working alongside his computer, Gertie, and they are sent back to Earth, partials of a resource that has helped diminish our planet's power problems. So a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of moon, a little bit of Pandora. I have seen none of these movies, so I think I'm going to go with sunshine. All right. Keep on the sunny side, he says. Yes. Yeah. And Justin, thank you. Chad, thank you. Excellent. Yeah. Happy to be uh, back in person. Yeah. I'm glad we picked a movie for, for all three that it's that it's brand new to us. That's, that's rare. That's really cool. Yeah. And I want to do more of that. So this, is, this has been fun. And thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And we're on Instagram now. So producing and providing this podcast is fun but not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. Any contributions you make will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad? Sometimes it takes a lot of wrong answers to get a right.